Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah 52 and Luke chapter 2. You can follow along and your own Bibles are on the screen. Isaiah 52, um, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And now, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing in our series through the songs of Advent. These are the songs that have sung over and over again, but maybe many have overlooked uh, the amazing significance of the words in the message. Last week, Pastor Danny spoke on Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the week before, Pastor Josh preached on Joy to the World. Today, we're going to hear about the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. How many of you guys in the rank of top five songs is this up there? It is in my top five because it's different from almost every other Christmas song. I love it because one of my favorite parts is when you teach it to children and you make them go, go, right? Anybody else does that? Like they love this yelling out the part, go, tell it on the mountain. I'm not going to sing for you. You're welcome. I love teaching it to children. I love having them sing this song over and over again. Listen to the words again. I'm going to read it to you really quickly. Go, tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Go, tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born. And God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Chorus again. Then it says, he made me a watchman upon the city wall. And if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. 
Go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. This song appears to be based on two primary passages of Scripture. There's two Scriptures that were just read for us. The first one is obviously Luke 2. The story behind the shepherds and the, and the second one is Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This passage from Isaiah is exactly the same passage that Paul quotes from when he explains the urgency of the gospel in Romans 10, 14. This is where Paul gives us his view, his primary mission of Christians. What Christians are supposed to do, in Romans 10, 14, he says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So this song connects the Christmas story to the Great Commission. And my favorite part of this song is the, what I said for you earlier with the children when you say, go. When they yell it out, when they get excited about it, they like, like to kind of jump up. When I work with kids, I like to have, have them spend a lot of energy. You know, so like when I have them wave at me, I don't make them wave with one hand, I make them wave with two hands. And I say it's so much more fun. Everybody try this with me real quickly. Wait with one hand. Kind of boring, isn't it? I wait with two hands. So much more fun, right? When I work with children, I love having them do things that burn their energy. So when I say, when I teach them this song, when I say go, I make them kind of jump up and do this arm pump thing. And I say go. And I love this because it connects the story. This isn't the imperative. This is the command. It says go tell it. Not weak in any way. That's why I love having the children yell this out. Christians, do you hear this go? The scriptures are shouting it. The Holy Spirit is shouting it. Fellow believers are shouting it. Our children are shouting it. Do you hear the go? Go to your neighbors. Go to your coworkers. Go to the broken and downtrodden. Go to the nations. Go. I mean, that's the question I have to ask. Are we hearing the go? Are we deafened by every other noise around us? Do we hear this imperative? Do we hear this command? That's all over scripture. That's all over probably everything that we do here as a church. That's all over our small groups. The world is shouting it. Go. Tell it. Do we hear it? Do we hear this go? This song has been speaking for hundreds of years, and it has an incredible history. This is an incredible song of victory and celebration came out of one of the darkest times and situations this world has known. This song was a spiritual sung by slaves in North America during the time of slavery. It is only by the grace of God and the devout faith of incredible people that we have this song today. Many of the composers of spirituals during that time could not read or write. For the most part, these songs were published or were unpublished, passed along only in oral tradition. A few songs might spread from the fields to small churches that came alongside work gangs and in other methods. But tragically, a lot of these spirituals have passed on from this world. But God and his grace 
preserved this beautiful song for us. Not long after the Civil War, a man named John Wesley Work. Yes, that's right, John Wesley Work. Like John Wesley, the brother of Charles Wesley, who wrote the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing from last week, as well as like a thousand other hymns. This is that same John Wesley who is the father of Methodism. This man was named after that guy. John Wesley Work. Church choir director in Nashville, Tennessee. He was a scholar as well as a musician. Deep passion and interest in music that defined the experience of the slaves in America. He felt that the new generation of black southerners might best understand the importance of spirituality by learning the songs their ancestors sang during the times of slavery. Little did he know that he wasn't just preserving that song for those people, but for all people. Nearby John Wesley work, where he was working in Nashville, there was a group called the Fisk Jubilee Singers. They drew their name from Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. And they were founded as a 10-member touring ensemble that raised funds for the debt-ridden Fisk University. Taking the entire contents of the university treasury with them for travel expenses, they left on October 6, 1871, from Nashville on a difficult but ultimately successful 18-month tour, a triumph that is still celebrated annually as Jubilee Day on campus at Fisk University. Their concerts grew to include more and more spirituals until their program consisted mainly of choral arrangements of spirituals, including the one that John Wesley Work brought to them in Nashville, Tennessee. They have been credited, this group, the Fisk Jubilee Singers, have been credited with keeping the spiritual alive. Spiritual scholar Sandra Jean Grant places development in context. The students were at first reluctant ambassadors for the songs of their ancestors. As Jubilee singer Ella Shepard recalled, the slave songs were never used by us then in public. They were associated with slavery and the dark past and represented things to be forgotten. Then too, they were sacred to our parents who used them in their religious worship. It was only through persuasion that the students sang their spirituals and through coercion that they sang them in concert. Taking the spiritual to these audience all across the United States and Europe earned the school and the spiritual an international reputation. The small ensemble of the quartets and pianists grew to a full choral ensemble. Other historically black universities, colleges followed the same pattern, including Howard and Tuskegee Institute. John Wesley Work passed his love of music and history onto his son, John Wesley Work Jr. He became a folk singer, composer, and a collector of spirituals, and eventually a professor of history and Latin at Fisk College. His wife was the music teacher for the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And John Wesley Work Jr., alongside his brother Frederick, uncovered the song, Go Tell on the Mountain Again. The song was unique that in very few of the songs preserved had been about Christmas. Most would assume naturally that most of the spirituals would be centered on earthly pain and suffering and the joy and happiness heaven has to offer. Yet here was a triumphant peace that embraced the wonder of lowly shepherds at the very first Christmas. So John Wesley Work received his master's from Fisk and further studied at Harvard. He taught at Fisk until 1923. He became the president of Roger Williams University until his death. Through his work and the Fisk Jubilee Singers, the song was published in Thomas Fenner's book, Religious Folk Songs as Sung on the Plantations in 1909. 
even after this publishing of the song would have gone away if it wasn't for the work of another work family member. John Wesley Work III was a graduate of Juilliard, a devoted student of history and music. He dug further into this song and discovered another verse to it, the last verse about the watchman. He didn't write it, he discovered that it was already being sung. Kept it to the same melody and arrangement of his father and grandfather, but added that final verse. His, his arrangement, as we know it today, was published in American Songs and Spirituals, 1940. And the United Methodist Church placed this hymn in their main hymnal for all churches in 1986. Theologian James Cone states that the conquering king and the crucified Lord has come to bring peace and justice to the dispossessed of the land. That is why the slave wanted to go tell it on the mountain. Do you see the hand of a sovereign God preserving this great song? So what are we to learn from this? Why would God go through so much effort to preserve this beautiful song? Why did God send people like John Wesley Work, John Wesley Work Jr., Frederick Work, and John Wesley Work III to preserve this song? Why does it still have so much meaning for us today? Why the impact? First, this is the first point I want you to see from the song and from the text. It's to whom the good news comes. First thing I want you to get is to whom the good news comes. The song notes that the message came first to the shepherds, while shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night. That the slaves who wrote this song felt drawn to the story of the shepherds is not surprising, since shepherds were considered to be the lowest class of people in Jewish society. Shepherds were basically homeless nomads that had a position that no one in society wanted. They were dirty, without home, and in no position of worth. Even worse for them is they had to work seven days a week, which meant that they were lawbreakers and not people of the temple and law. In other words, there were people who were ostracized of community and of faith. There were people who were so low that said, well, you go work seven days a week so that I don't have to demean myself. I don't have to put the burden of breaking the law on myself because somebody has to do it. But I don't want to do it. So we'll make the shepherds do it. Shepherds were so low that their testimony wasn't even acceptable in court. A word of a shepherd was meaningless. They were often seen as less than human. Which makes what happens in today's passage all the more incredible. Our scripture this morning is God's version of a birth announcement. Nowhere else in the Christmas story in Matthew or Luke does God announce to anyone that Jesus had been born. This is it. This is God's one announcement. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. If I was God in announcing this coming birth, I'd be telling everyone of note and of importance. I'd be calling up Caesar. Be like, what's up, Caesar? I know you're an emperor or something. This is important. I'd be calling up the princes and rulers of the world. If it was this day, I'd get the world leaders at the UN. I'd be calling all the media stops. I'd be calling Tom Brady in The Rock. I would be, this is, I'd be just calling all the important people. Be like, listen, you think you're important? My son is coming. This is so much more important. Do you not get that? But the palace doesn't hear. The temple doesn't hear. The, the media outlets didn't hear. Jerusalem doesn't hear. This birth announcement that God gives out goes to a group of shepherds on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Shepherds. These people never came to the temple. 
They were breakers of the law. They were outcast and nomads. They were lowly, considered less than human by so many people. They smelt like sheep. That God chose them above everyone else. Because the slaves felt a connection with the shepherds, you can begin to see why this story in Luke was so important to them. If God chooses to work through shepherds, then God could work through the slaves as well. If Christ was born for people as lowly as shepherds, then Christ's birth and meaning behind it was a gift to the slaves as well. Down in the lowly manger, the humble, Christ was born. Both the shepherds and the slaves knew something about being lowly and humble. And yet through Christ, God sent us salvation, that blessed Christmas morn. That's part of the reason Go Tell on the Mountain is such an energetic tune. This is a song of celebration. But why choose the shepherds to receive the message first? It was to demonstrate from its inception on earth the nature of the gospel. In coming to the shepherds, God reached to those everybody considered to be on the bottom, showing that there is no one too broken, too poor, and too insignificant for his kingdom. Do you hear that? You're not too low for him. In fact, it is for the poor and the broken. Do you hear that today? There are some of you who feel that maybe your actions or your deeds, or maybe your lack of accomplishments, you're too low. Maybe some of you feel that, you know, I came here because my mother made me, my grandparents made me. Maybe you're here because a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend made you, and you're thinking, you know, coming to church is the last place I deserve to be because you have no idea the stuff that I've done. I'm surprised lightning didn't strike them when I walked in. Can I tell you, there's nothing you've done that makes you too low. Do you hear that? I don't want you to miss that. Somehow as in human beings, the way we've lived out throughout our course of history, we've had this incredible sin in us, this unbelievable sin in us that has always made us be able to look down on others and place ourselves lower or above other people. Whether it's the caste system or feudal system or whatever system there exists. We've always had this innate ability, that comes from sin, to say, look how bad you are, look how good I am, or look how bad I am, look how good they are. And let me tell you that the gospel came, Jesus came, and completely flipped that whole concept upside down. There's nothing you did that made you too low for him. And coming for the shepherds, he is showing us that. In fact, it is for the poor and the broken. You see, the essence of our issue, our sin, is pride. The idea that we don't really need God. That we are sufficient without him. Those who are not lowly in this world, we often struggle with this concept. People who are not lowly in this world have crafted an illusion that makes it seem that they're sufficient on themselves. It's often created through wealth or power or moral superiority. We create this illusion, this self-illusion in ourselves when we have money, when we have success, when we're morally superior to others. Yet it's all an illusion. For the slave and the shepherd, though, much of this illusion is taken away already. They don't have the wealth. They don't have the power. They are further ahead in the process. They are quicker to realize their inability to save themselves and their need for a savior. The good news is that we don't have to be a slave or shepherd, but to have the heart of one, a heart of acknowledged need, a heart that knows that it's lowly estate and sees the savior born. 
This song shows us to whom the news comes and whom it's made for. Can I tell you that the acknowledged need is all that's there? Is that if you acknowledge that you are not sufficient on your own, if you acknowledge that there is no moral superiority, if you acknowledge that there's nothing you can do to earn salvation and to earn right relationship, there's nothing you can do that cover up this innate knowing that you have that you've sinned. Then comes the freeing grace of Jesus Christ. That it says it has nothing to do with what you've done. You did nothing to earn and nothing to deserve his love, but it's been freely given to you. And you don't no longer do you have to try to put on this air of superiority, whether it's through a caste system or through wealth or moral superiority. You no longer do you have to say, look how good I am, people, look. You can put all these masks on and say, yes, I got it together. My life is good, and I'm a great husband, I'm a great father, I'm a great whatever. You no longer do you have to try so hard to look how good and cover it up, because you can say, no, I'm known. And Christ still loves me. And his grace, his love is still real for me, and it frees me. That's what it did to the slaves. It freed them. Because they said, no, 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 you might think I have no worth, but in Christ." Oh, I'm priceless. Who I am is a beloved child. So you might do what you want to this body, but eternity, I belong to Christ and he belongs to me. Can I tell you, oh, so many of us, we live enslaved. We live enslaved to sin, enslaved to this idea of having to look and act and be a certain way, thinking we need to earn some sort of salvation or stance before God, thinking, oh, so many of us, whether it came from kind of having to please our father or uh, be successful in this world, have this idea of this kind of like overbearing God over us saying, you better be good, you better do this. Look at that person, that person's got it together. That's slavery. Can you hear me when I say that? When that controls you and rules you, keeps you in bondage. But Christ came to the lowly. So that we can be set free. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And there's more here than just celebrating Christ's birth. Such a magnificent event, such a world-changing happening requires more than just a celebration. The shepherds heeded the angel's words and went to Bethlehem to see the baby born in the stable. And Luke tells us that afterwards, when they had seen him, they spread the word of what had been told them about this child. They became living birth announcements. Any of us who have had children can relate to this excitement. I know I can. After Josiah was born, after my son was born, I was just itching to have chances to tell complete strangers about him. And this is so true. I would, I would be like at a restaurant, and the waitress would be like, oh, hey, how's your day? I'm like, it's great. I have a son. Here's a picture. You know? I just, because I, I, he's so cute too, right? But. I mean, this is what I love doing. I'd love to jump, jump in. Somebody else will be talking like, oh, yeah, you know, my dog was doing this and I hated it. Oh, you know what my son did? <laughs> Here's a picture. You know, like, you ask anybody who's a new parent, they just have pictures of their kids. They just want to show it to everybody. There's an excitement that you just, oh, my son is so cute. I can't help it. I got to share it. You know, I love my son so much. He's so adorable. I got to, like, look. See? So many people are probably here like, Lawrence, I've seen way too many pictures of your son. I can't help it. Because of the significance of Christ's birth, the shepherds were as excited as if he was their own. 
Notice how people responded to this. The Bible says, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I mean, I bet they were. This is not the kind of information that usually a shepherd might know. You know, the shepherd might know, like, you know, how much does wool cost or how to shear a sheep or, you know, this is not the type of information a shepherd should know. This was great news of good, or good news of great joy about the birth of the Messiah, the one that the priests have been looking for. The ones that everybody, all of Israel was looking for. This is stuff that the priests, the highest people, the holiest people should know. But the shepherds were out there yelling and saying to everybody, do you know that the Messiah was born? I heard the angels. I saw the angels. Then I saw the baby. The shepherds saw and they could, couldn't hold it in. The shepherds saw and they told everybody. They were amazed because they had opened their hearts and received the gift. Now they were obeying the call to proclaim it. For the slaves, the birth of Christ and each opportunity to celebrate it was a reminder of the gift they received from Christ, the promise of freedom. As they endured persecution and bondage, the promises of Jesus gave them strength and hope. How else would a human being be able to survive living and enduring in those conditions? Not only did they survive, but their faith endured because of what the birth of Christ meant to them. When you are enslaved and Christ promises freedom, when you're in a helpless situation, Christ provides hope. When you're banging your head against a brick wall, Jesus opens the way. How can you do anything else but climb on the nearest mountain and shout about it? For those who've been enslaved to be set free, how can you do anything else but climb the mountain? I don't care if you have mountain climbing gear. I don't care if you've never climbed the mountain before in your life. How can you not help but just go? Just go. The angels, anybody know what the word for angel is or what it's translated to? Anybody? Who, who said that? Good job. Nerd points. Angel means messenger. So what were the angels doing? They were, they were the messenger of God. They were giving, they were sharing the message, right? Well, what did the shepherds then do? So the messengers were sent the message to the shepherds, and what were then the shepherds? They became the messengers. They became the birth announcement. Then the slaves, when they heard this word, when they wrote this song, were the messengers. Who are the messengers now? You. Me, Waypoint Church, every one of us. We are now the messengers. The, the, the mantle has been passed. The baton has been passed. And we see the great people of faith before us. We saw the shepherds who are considered lowly. We see the slaves who are in the lowliest of place. And you see us, who we are just as lowly. And we say, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take that baton and we'll take that message because the world still needs to hear it. And because that message has radically transformed and changed us. I love it. Liz said earlier, she said, behold, right? She said, those who behold, oh, those are the ones who share. Can I tell you something? If you do not hear, go. If you do not hear it in your heart, in your spirit, can I tell you something? I'm just going to be honest with you. If you don't hear the word go, Maybe you've never beheld. Can I say that again? If you do not hear the go, it's probably because you've never beheld. Maybe it's because you don't behold the glory. 
you don't see Jesus. Because can I tell you that those who've seen the birth announcement, those who've seen Jesus, the ones who've been set free, they go. They can't help it. Just like me with my son, I can't help it. He's so cute, I got to share it. I love him so much, I got to show him to the world. How much more so is the Savior? How much more so the one who frees us from religion? How much more so who frees us from bondage? How much more so the one that the world has been waiting for? We need to go. The scriptures are shouting it. Heroes of the faith are proclaiming it. Heroes who endured such suffering, such pain, and out of such pain and suffering composed such hopeful song. Do we hear it? Now, go doesn't necessarily mean, okay, Lawrence, I hear go. So am I going to Gambia tomorrow? Is that, is that what happens? I don't, I don't know. What, what does it mean, go? Go means go. It literally means whatever the Holy Spirit is urging you to do, do it. What do I always say about missions? That missions is doing what God's called you to do where he's called you to do it. Do you hear that? So there is no holier kind of caste system in Christianity. There's no pastors and missionaries are here and, you know, Sunday school teachers are here. There's, there's no caste system. Every one of us at White Point Church, what do we call ourselves? Thank you. Every member of missionary here at Waypoint Church, right? There's no holy caste system. We're all missionaries. That means we all go. And so we ask God, God, where are you calling me to go? What are you calling me to do? What is that spirit in, in my heart that you've promised that you've given me, the counselor? What's he telling me to do? So maybe that's my neighbor who's just recently moved in. Maybe it's my coworker. Maybe it's some international students. Maybe it's some new refugee families. Maybe it's Dominican Republic. Maybe it's Gambia. Maybe it's Kuala Lumpur. Maybe it's your school. Maybe it's your classmates. Whatever it may be, go. You can't keep it in. This is too good. Behold his glory and go. Tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, that you came to the lowly to show us that you are for the lowly. You came us intentionally to the lowly to show us that, God, what you want is not fancy words or holy estate before you. What you call for is just openness and brokenness before you. God, that for us to just to be known and to be loved by you. God, we thank you that we can now, those of us who've beheld your power and your glory, we now are called to go. So may we go. May this imperative, may this shout be proclaimed in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.